Greetings from Longtime No See, the podcast. Every week, we'll be inviting two blindfolded comedians to answer a series of questions about their careers, lives, and opinions. Now, let's remove those blindfolds and start the show. Hi! What would your opening line with your celebrity crush be? Loved you in Harry Potter. <laughs> Worst date you've been on? A man bit my neck mole off once. You did what? A man bit my neck mole off. Oh my God, Jack almost fell off his chair. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast. You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Hello, and welcome to The Spark Parade, a show where I talk to artists about the single artwork that's most inspired them. I'm Adam Unz. Thank you ever so much for joining me. Coming up this week, I don't want to pat myself on the back too much here, but I have uh, quite an amazing show coming up for you. I talked to international pop superstar and author Will Young about Rene Magritte's painting, The Treachery of Images. Ooh, not going to lie, it's a good chat. You're going to love it. Get excited. But first, let's talk about the elephant in the room. This podcast has a new focus, a narrowed focus. Basically, I wanted to get back to basics. The idea of this podcast, when it started, was to talk about the importance of art, why it's important to us as a society, as a whole, and why it's important to us as individuals. And somewhere along the way, I don't feel like that idea got lost, but it got a little bit muddled. People talking about multiple topics and just talking about stuff that they liked or enjoyed rather than the things that mattered most to them. So from now on, it's going to be every artist talking about the single artwork that's most inspired them. And I think that narrowed focus really lends itself to digging into why art is so vital to a functioning, healthy society, which is what I wanted to do in the first place. So not a huge change, but a slight adjustment from now on. And uh, speaking of that adjustment, we might as well just dig in to the first interview of the season. Some quick facts about Will Young. His pop career began on the British TV competition Pop Idol in 2001, making him the first winner in the Idol franchise, which swept the globe with shows like American Idol. He has gone on to sell upwards of 8 million albums. He's won two Brit Awards, and he has just released a new book to much acclaim called To Be a Gay Man, which details the impact that homophobia has had on Will's career. Uh, Will and I spoke about Rene Magritte's painting The Treachery of Images, quick Magritte facts. Magritte was a Belgian surrealist painter whose career spanned much of the first half of the 20th century. The painting that we discussed depicts a pipe with the phrase, this is not a pipe written in French below it. I'm not going to try to pronounce it in French because my French is terrible slash non-existent. So let's just leave that. And those are the facts. So why don't we just get to the main event? Trust me, this is an amazing conversation. I know you're going to love it. So without further delay, here comes my chat with the lovely Will Young about Rene Magritte's The Treachery of Images. As, as uh, an artist, do you remember uh, encountering his work for the first time? Yeah, I do. Very, very vividly. Um, I was in Oxford in the UK and um, I went to a charity shop. We didn't live far away from Oxford. 
so we'd go there quite a lot um and my mother would sort of pay for us to have expensive haircuts even though we were like nine but anyway that's another story and um and i went into a charity shop it was an oxfam and there was a magritte there was a catalog from a magritte exhibition and uh on the front was the image of um the dove in the clouds which while i talk to you i'm gonna i'm gonna seamlessly google so i can find out what it is um and uh i just it just it was so simple and kind of like obvious in a way i was like oh yeah okay that's a dove in the clouds i get it but at the same time it was so uh, just sort of epic and and it, and i was like of course there's light through darkness and you know his his the way he plays with perspective you know really pulls you into into a picture and particularly this one of the of the dove because it was you know the the dark clouds and then literally pulling you through into into sunlight um blue and white cloud you know blue sky and white clouds so it was um it just sort of blew me away and i bought it ah i can tell you what it's called it's called la grande famille a large family and then and then i i sort of carried on i loved the kind of i loved his use of imagery it's very it was very blatant and um and it sort of hit me very hard um in the most wonderful way yeah aged uh yeah 15 i was mm. and then i pulled out all the pictures and stuck them all over my wall <laughs> as you do as you do i was just talking about this recently that i uh was remembering going through the phase of i don't know band t-shirts but also postcards that i picked up from exhibitions and posters from uh you know gift shops and things like that images that i really liked that i would just plaster all over my room as a teenager so i definitely can relate to that experience yes and then i moved on rather pretentiously and and sort of started painting my walls hmm. um in sort of fake fake picassos <laughs> <laughs> And I love my parents. They just let me do it. Yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. I don't think I have ever had enough uh, talent in that respect. I, I'm like terrible at drawing, terrible at painting. So, oh god, no, it was dreadful, absolutely dreadful. All I all I did was his cubist period because it just meant I could draw triangles and squares. Yeah. I mean, literally, I am the worst worst painter in the world. <laughs> uh, um, but it's still, you know, g giving it a a try and expressing yourself. Yeah, in exactly. Whatever way you can, I guess. Yeah, exactly. But that particular painting, I think, to me, represents a, a big chunk of his work and something that's appealing to a lot of people about his work is it's surrealist, but the imagery is also grounded in reality. There's, there's enough there that feels like the real world, and there's these kind of heightened, fantastic elements um, at play in, in these real world images. Um, so... Yeah, I think that's, uh, at least to me, a huge part of the appeal of his work is that it does feel like uh, familiar and totally fantastic at the same time. Oh, totally. I mean, it's almost like, you know, some of the paintings could be a scene from Harry Potter. Yeah. You know, of this sort of normal, sort of the muggles going about normal life, but then you've got a suspended apple in the air. But do, right. does anyone see it? You know, yeah. and, um, and I, I think what I loved about again sort of what i was really drawn into and and why i love there's an image there's a an image of a pipe and and what and it's called the treachery of images mm -hmm. and 
and the title underneath it is Sessi Napalm and Peep, this isn't a pipe. And he does other ones, Sessi Napalm and Pom, this isn't an apple. And immediately it makes one think as the onlooker, well, it is, a, it is an apple, you know, or it is a pipe. So what's he saying? And there's a real wryness um, to what he's doing in those paintings. And there's a, you know, he sort of dances around almost poking fun of the onlooker mm-hmm. um and, and and as i got more more into his work i i actually went to belgium and, and went to the museum and, and and i spoke to a specialist i ended up doing a documentary on him uh, really not knowing anything about him and the amazing thing about and peep and then of course the title the treachery of images is that he He's asking the question, well, well, what is this? And, you know, what has this pulled you in to believe that it is? Because actually it isn't a pipe, it's a painting. Mm-hmm. And actually it's not even a painting of a pipe because he took a lot of his images from encyclopedias. Mm-hmm. So he actually, he actually copied an image of a pipe from an encyclopedia. So it's not even a painting of a pipe. It's a painting of an image of a pipe in, in an encyclopedia. Yeah. So, so he sort of, there's a little bit of a sort of matrix element. In fact, there's a huge matrix element to his paintings. And, and he gently asks through humor the question of what is this? You know, mm. he asks the, on, the onlooker to think. And that's what great art does and, and 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 as as i learned when i did this documentary um i wore glasses and pretended to be very intelligent um and what i learned is he actually he actually started in advertising and so what he did that was very unique um as a surrealist is he brought in titles into paintings hmm. um so so sessi napal and peep is not the title of the, the painting it's the treachery of images but he would bring in logos because of course that's what you would do in advertising you know probably the best lager in the world or um you know whatever all the famous uh, advertising strap lines and logos are he bought those into paintings because of course that's what he was doing with his brother um in advertising Mm -hmm. so and and advertising is a lot more blatant you know you have you have what three seconds if you're driving past a billboard to get what it is and i always say if you don't if you're driving on the motorway and you don't know what a billboard's just told you in those as you passed it then it's failed there's no point in having it and and that's why a lot of his images are so arresting so quickly because you get it very quickly it's like oh an apple suspended in the sky oh um businessman in in bowler hats raining down but of course he's not doing it from just a, as some people potentially would say, Picasso used to do, is sort of like quite nonchalantly and just rattling things off. That's a very contentious argument. Um, you know, there is huge depth underneath his work, but initially you just get this immediate image that's very arresting. Yeah. You know, and you can get it quite. You know, it's like, oh, okay. There's dark clouds. There's the dove, and there's sunlight. So it's basically saying, don't worry, you will find happiness but then you delve into it you know mm. um and and so he was very 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 unique on that front yeah 
And I think uh, with the treachery of images as well, that same, you know, you have this juxtaposition of a, a very plain image, something that has been taken from, you know, the everyday world and uh, this underlying concept that I, I guess at first glance you look at it and it's like, yeah, it's just a pipe and there's, you know, some text underneath it. And then as you think about it, it's like it kind of sucks you in and it infuriated people. And it still does, like in preparation for this, listening to people talk about the history of that painting and people kind of arguing about what is a pipe? Is that a pipe? Is is it not a pipe because it's an image of a pipe? Going on and on and on. And those are the kinds of arguments that, that it has provoked from people. Um, and I love that it looks like something, if you take it at surface level, that's quite simple, but it's actually quite complex. And the idea that he maybe wants to provoke those conversations, but he's, it's also this cheekiness, this, like he knows that he's yes. being, um, it's, it's playful and he wants to kind of, uh, get a rise out of people and loves that. Oh yes, totally. I mean, it is, I don't know if you have this word in, in America, but it's, it's kindergarten, so, uh, elementary school, you know, it, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's sort of kindergarten art to begin with. Right, it's, right. it's a very simple image, you know, it's a very simple image. It's kind of nice. It's just a pipe. But then when you go into it and, and, and funny enough, just listen, listening to you and, you know, he- hearing you just then, you know, what came up for me was, you know, a pipe could be seen as a cancer stick. You know, mm. a pipe could be seen as death. Mm-hmm. A pipe could be seen as emotional release, as frustration, as joy. So I think, and, and, and there's, a, there's a wonderful, what I found with his work and how it's affected my work is um, there's, well, there's so many different things that I've sort of based, based a lot of my imagery on. The simplicity of him, I sort of really related to also Bob Fosse, the choreographer. Mm. Very sort of mm-hmm. interesting, quirky, cheeky again choreography and very simple and arresting and stark and um quite graphic but not in the sort of modern graphic way and um the first tour i did i i we all wore bowler hats and we did a very fossey style magritte you know infused performance and what's amazing about bowler hats is they immediately neutralize a character and and Mm. he was making a comment on the bourgeoisie and the everyday working man and you know the people earning money and, and they're, they're faceless. You know, or, or sometimes the characters in his paintings are faceless because you're not, you're not a name, you're a number if you're wearing a bowler hat. And that's kind of what a bowler hat did at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, a little bit like seeing a lot of suited bankers now, you know, they're just a suit really. And I've, I carried that through really in my, in my love of art. And, and I, I did cabaret, I played the MC in cabaret. And um, it makes me think of what cabaret does, which is it pulls you in and makes you laugh to then shine a mirror straight up to the audience and go, hang on, what the fuck are you laughing at? You know, Mm. in that blend of comedy, political. um, And there's a wonderful bit in cabaret when, uh, well, I can, I mean, give loads of examples There, there's a, a, there's one number called money and in the performance brilliantly directed by uh, uh, Rufus Norris who's a director of the national now and um, a brilliant choreographer called Javier de Fritas and um, I was 
dressed as a fat man, an enormous, <laughs> gluttonous fat, fat man. So, of course, it's wonderful. It's hysterical. And I, I chewed sweets and I dribbled everywhere. And, you know, I appeared and the audience were like, oh, my God, it's funny because everyone loves someone dressing up as a fat person. You know, oh look, it's like sumo wrestlers, isn't it? People dress in sumo wrestling suits and charge at each other. And it's like, oh, isn't it funny? And actually, the fat suit is balloons and they pop the balloons and I end up becoming you know a very frail starving person and and that's playing with imagery very quickly you know oh gosh it's funny it's just elementary fat person you know I could uh, just a clown it's clowning it's like oh let's make kids laugh you know squirt some water um and then you turn it on its head and there was another number when a, there's a gorilla dancing on a screen and I'm singing, if you could see her through my eyes. And, and the famous line at the end is, but if you could see her through my eyes, she wouldn't be Jewish at all. And, you, and the screen drops down and it's not a gorilla. It's a, a very small Jewish girl standing there with mm. a mark on her. You know, so again, you're, you're, you're bringing the audience in with something very simple. Um, cabaret does not have to be complicated. It shouldn't be. It, the more simple, the better. And you pull them in and then you flip it and shine a mirror up to them and say, you have been laughing for three minutes about a song about a Jewish girl. You know, yeah. and, and you play, you toy, you toy with the audience. And, and that's what Great Cabaret does. And that's what Magritte does. He toys with the audience through quite simple imagery. And that's what I love. And there's something very subversive about his work. And, and that's completely infused the work that I've done. And, and, and how, I, how I approach work, actually. Yeah. And having all of those multiple interpretations and mixed messages coming through in a single piece of work, but then also kind of refusing to give people answers. You know, he would talk about his work and say, oh, it's just, yeah, it's just the imagery. It's just it's just images. Just look at it. I don't you know, what does it mean? I don't know. There's no meaning. It's it's yes. just, it's just an image. Um, and so mm. having something that's like so provocative, so, uh, so many layers of, of implied meaning and then refusing to discuss it and saying it doesn't mean anything. Yes, exactly. So it's like continuing the conversation of being a sort of anarchic and, mm. um, and wanting to create a, a reaction. It's kind of poking the bear. Right. And I think in some ways that's also a comment on uh, the bourgeoisie saying that you're like, you know, people who come to view art are looking, it, infusing the art with meaning that may or may not be there. They're, uh, you know, yes. pro projecting their own assumptions onto this work. And then having the artist say, actually, no, fuck you. It's, uh, it doesn't mean any of that. You go, you don't know what you're talking about. It doesn't mean anything. I made it and it doesn't mean anything. Um, when clearly there yes. is more to it. So yeah, just, uh, I absolutely love that. No, you're, yeah, that's so, it's so great to hear that. And, and you're completely right. And, and I think, you know, it makes me think of as a performer, more, more as, as an actor, not, a, not as a pop singer. When I do theatre, I have a huge disdain for the audience. <laughs> huge, which, which is a really dodgy thing to say because, and I mean that when I'm on the stage, I don't have it as a person. I love, you know, I love people. Um, and, you know, I'm curious about them and interested and, and, and everyone's got incredible stories in them. You know, if they want to share them, more people are prepared to listen. But um, as an actor, when I step on the stage, I have disdain for those people. And, and it's made me think, well, maybe that is a similar thing. It's, 
I, I don't know what it is, but I want them to learn. It's like learn from it and learn from what you're doing and 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 how you're viewing things, and um, and I've sort of always really had that as a performer, and I don't know if that's being in a mainstream audience. So perhaps mainstream people always, you know, anyone in the mainstream as a viewer, as, as an onlooker, as an, an audience member, really wants sort of watered down stuff. They don't really. No one wants to be uncomfortable. You know, it's funny. Mm. I notice when I go to the, when I go to the theatre, you know, and let's say I remember once going to see a play and there was Judy Dench and Ben Whitshaw, I think, and I think Ollie Alexander from the band The Years and Years, but I might make that up. I think he was. And um, uh, as soon as, you know, Judy comes on stage and says one line, everyone wants to laugh. You know, they're like, oh, you know, and it's not even funny. People People don't want to be made to feel awkward. Mm -hmm. They don't. They actually want to be made to feel fuzzy and nice. They really want Bridget Jones. Yeah. You know, yeah, they, they don't. They, they they don't want they they don't want to watch. You know, Hunger the film, or you know, <laughs> they want to watch. They want to watch Frozen too. And 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 as a performer, I I who performs in the mainstream. I have a huge disdain for that, but I'm probably like that myself. So it's, you know, it's quite an interesting thing to think about for me as a, as a, as a, as an artist. Yeah. But I think especially in the contexts of the works that we've been talking about, people don't want to feel uncomfortable unexpectedly. They don't want it to be out of their control. And if they go in to see a film like Hunger, they understand that it's all discomfort. That's that they, true. They, they walk into it knowing that that's going to happen. And that particular situation where it's like somebody expecting, you know, sweet Judy Dench, who's always there to make me feel better, suddenly turning it on its head and being like, no, you fucker, here's, you know, you're, you're going to yeah, yeah. shit. Um, and yeah. in some ways it's the same, you know, maybe not as extreme with Magritte, but, uh, definitely that frustration that people feel looking at his work or that especially as he was showing it as he was painting it in that time people were really frustrated by it and felt like it was almost confrontational like they felt like they were being affronted by this inanimate object because it was challenging them in a way that they hadn't expected to be challenged yes yes and i think as that's across the board really what surrealists were doing in different forms you know and it makes me think of Bauhaus, it makes me think of the theatre of the absurd, you know, what, what they were doing as well. That whole surrealist movement um, mm. was really testing people. And he sort of did it with a smile on his face, which was, right. but totally not as, you know, some people I think might think Magritte was a sort of postcard artist, really. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but he totally isn't. I, I think he's, I think he's not as, Probably Picasso is the clown of, of the art world at that time and, and Dali. But um, he certainly, he was probably more like demure court jester, you know, <laughs> but, but, but still totally, you know, the court jester has complete disdain for the authority that he's under. Mm. I mean, look at, look at what the, look, look at what the jester does in, um, you know, Shakespeare, you know, yeah. look at, look at Lear, you know, what, what the fool, the fool does. So I think he was certainly the fool, um, it, or could be seen as that, but then of course it's it, that frustration that he caused the bourgeoisie, which is right. which is what all the surrealists were doing. 
Yeah. And I think some of that stuff, uh, the feeling of being perceived as, as someone who's like a postcard artist or, you know, stuff that can be very easily, uh, you know, prints thrown on someone's wall, that it doesn't feel like it's necessarily, especially now, something that's confrontational if it's in your home or if you, you know, are observing it in a gallery. And I think a lot of that comes uh, from what you were talking about before with the background in advertising. And it has also come full circle that it's like he his work draws from advertising he makes this work that's you know gallery work that is shown as fine art and now it's used in adverts again um Mm, mm. oh my god i mean totally you're right just like uh you know seeing it used as advertising and kind of ignoring any of the meaning that came from the work itself um, and kind of drawing back to the roots of in advertising that it's like this clear imagery, especially his paintings that have text in them as well, that it's like a clear one sentence or one phrase message that's like very grounded in the world of advertising that, you know, you have to have this striking image that evokes all of this emotion and then this kind of catchphrase that combined with the the image um, conveys the message that you're trying to convey. And he did a lot of turning that on his head. Like we've said, you know, having the message be something that instead of clarifying the meaning of the painting yes. makes it yes, infuriatingly yes. hard to decipher. Yes, the punchline does the opposite of what you're meant to do in advertising. It immediately confuses. Mm. Uh, and then he moves on with the, with, and then he allows an access through um, for the for the audience, um, he allows access through the titles, mm-hmm. um, which completely con- you know contradict the simple sim- the simple um, the simplified text. And you're completely right. You know, of course, it, it's doing anything. You know, but it's 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 totally confusing. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 you're so right. I mean, actually, I, I think if any artist has has maintained a presence into the modern world. I mean, you see his, you see what he did in painting everywhere. You know, you, you see it from a chap called Storm Thorgerson, who did all the artwork for Pink Floyd, um, mm. to Muse, to the Stones, you know, and, and, and he references Magritte the whole time. Yeah. I mean, and, 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 unapolog- and un- unapologetically so, you know, in, in, a, in a very uh, honouring manner. But you just look at look at all those covers. You've got you've got the um, the Pink Floyd. You've got the Bowler Hat Men. Um, you've got I can't remember the other reference to a, a painting. It's actually a painting um, that he did with a, a woman with a veil over her um, face, and it it actually referenced his mother because he ha- he actually had a a mother who was who killed herself. Mm-hmm. Um, she was had severe mental problems and and drowned in in the river, sort of pretty much opposite their their house and you never really you never really see see that really come up in his artwork um but there is i think a reverence for women and there is i think a lot of the work that he does when he sort of there's one when the face of a woman is a vagina and he just puts a wig on the top <laughs> and I, and i think i th- i think he was I like to think that he was actually a a feminist. Mm. Um, you know, you certainly madly in love with his his wife. They they met in a park, and and I like to think that what he was saying about women was, you know, again showing people, well, look, you know, women might as well just be boobs in a vagina with mm. a with a wig on. 
And, um, you know, that's quite an arresting image. And he wasn't really doing that about men. But going back to the advertising, I mean, you see it everywhere. You know, with the Guinness, all the Guinness ads in the mm-hmm. UK, it was fish on, fish on bikes, you know, fish pedaling bikes. And um, it, it, it's constantly referenced. Uh, and I love that. I love that. I think it should be. I think it's, it's, he's almost one of the go-to references. Yeah. And I feel like he would get a kick out of the idea of having this <laughs> additional layer of meaning attached on top of his work. Oh, it's yeah. like, you know, having to dig deeper and deeper to find what the original intention of the work was. And now it's just been turned into, you know, like, buy this kind of soap. Um, <laughs> uh, yes, yes. Well, exactly. And I mean, it's, it's become fodder again, mm. in a way. But he started from fodder. Right. So I don't know if he would if he would mind that or not, I still think the jokes on, on them, Yeah, you know, the, the, um, I really do. I think that he gets the last laugh, whatever it is. Yeah. The painting is the lover's statue when, when Mm. it's actually two lovers covered in, covered in, um, sort of quite light fabric, um, Mm. which, which was referenced through pop artwork, uh, later on Pink Floyd artwork. Actually, I was uh, just thinking about other people who were influenced by him, that the whole kind of pop art movement, you know, Ed Ruscha and Andy Warhol, people like that, uh, drew a lot of inspiration from him. But I think from his perspective, they were kind of missing the point that there was something about pop art that even though on the surface it seems quite frivolous, it did take itself quite seriously. And that it was almost missing a little bit of the cheekiness that was infused you know he was a cheeky shit he was like a, a, a provocateur he wanted to um get a rise out of people and it almost feels at least to me like you know if someone like andy warhol for example that there was a kind of provocation but it was much more self-serious and much more, more about you know he himself being a celebrity and being part of the project as on a, a grand scale but uh yeah all of totally, those people definitely. totally it was it was worship of 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 um iconography and 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 you know andy warhol became part of that mm. you know having the marilyn monroe the campbell suits the bananas the banana you know he he was making things more iconic and worshiping the, the cult of celebrity really mm. um of which he became and and I, there were comments i think you know like the campbell soup i think very interesting and i think he was still through his art was taking, you know, Coca-Cola bottles. He was taking on the bourgeoisie again and, and mass marketing. But I completely agree with you. It was in a, in a far more serious way and, and possibly not as uh, subtle, funnily enough. Mm. Um, you know, not, possibly not really getting the viewer to, to ask a question, you know, and I think Magritte, don't think Magritte, there's something about people that take things very seriously. I mean, artists that take things seriously, so bloody boring. You know, like me, you know, as much as I'd love to prattle on about, you know, how important I think the voice is and what I get for my music, no one wants to fucking hear that stuff. You know, uh, you know, talk about it with your friends and get drunk and, and all talk about how brilliant you are. But no one really wants to hear that shit, you know, unless you want to listen to a random art show on Radio 4. But I think, you know, don't take it. Don't take it too seriously. You should never take art too seriously. And there there is a sense of fun in Warhol's paintings, but I think Magritte really didn't. He was, he didn't take the outcome seriously. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I, I think 
he took his he took the craft seriously, but he didn't overall. I think he had a perspective, mm-hmm. um, and I, I actually really do believe that a lot of that comes down to his love for his wife. Mm. You know, I really do do think that. Um, yeah. You know, they, they they really did did love each other. And there's a wonderful uh, song by Paul Simon on on a, on a great record called Hearts and Bones, uh, which maybe isn't so well known. But there's a song about Rene and Rene and Georgia Magritte. Hmm. Called, it's called Rene and Georgia Magritte with their dog after the war. And they absolutely adored their dog. Hmm. Um, and, and I would hi- highly recommend listening to it. I, uh, I will do that the moment that we finish speaking. I, uh, oh, I that promise. would be lovely. Yes. Oh, I love, oh. Yeah. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I would, let, me know, let me know what you think. Let me know what you think of it. Yeah. Um, uh, that, I feel like that is a lovely place to uh to wrap things up so thank you so much this was so much fun um i uh i really enjoyed uh digging into uh magritte's work well ditto and i really enjoyed hearing your opinions on it and um you know it's it is as much as i said people you know don't want to take things too seriously i i do enjoy having intellectual curious fun conversations about art so it's for me it's been an absolute pleasure great and it's also just nice to not talk about coronavirus for a minute as well oh i agree absolutely yeah all right um well take care of yourself uh stay safe and uh thanks again you too bye bye thanks again to will for chatting with me what a nice guy such an amazing conversation uh buy his new book please to be a gay man that is available everywhere you buy or download books Okay, so time for some homework. The best thing about podcasting is being able to assign homework to your audience. I think that's how it works. Um, I want to hear about the art that inspires you. So you can choose a book, a TV show, a movie, a painting, whatever. The definition of art is very broad here, but let me know which single piece of artwork has had the biggest impact on you. You can email me at info at thesparkparade.com. You can DM me on social media at Spark Parade on all platforms, or you can throw it into a review of the show and then kill two birds with one stone. Five-star reviews are great. Just stick to those, please. I, I don't think we need to even worry about the other levels of stars. And I'll put links to all this stuff in the show notes. Also, if you are an American citizen, please, please vote. I think registration deadlines have expired pretty much all over the country, so hopefully you have already registered. Please, please, please vote. This is a very, very important election, probably the most important election in all of our lifetimes. And uh, yeah. You can vote for whoever you want, as long as it's Joe Biden and every other Democrat all the way down the ballot. Oops. Sorry. Guess I am outing myself as a partisan hack there. But oh, well, I'm I'm pretty cool with that. So uh, check out vote.org if you want any help with any voter information. It's a great nonprofit resource for voters. So check that out. And that's it. Um, I hope you have a fantastic week. This is the start of a new season. I've got some incredible guests coming up. Very excited for you to hear those interviews as well. So keep coming back. I'll see you next week. Take care of yourself. Stay safe. Until next time. Bye.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.